Now, you might be able to pick out some more, but, but I've got five here I thought we'd just look at quickly this morning. Five mistakes made by some of the main players in the Christmas story. Joseph and Mary, to begin with. So, they were engaged to be married, and then they have this news given to them that uh, Mary has conceived a child, and she's going to give birth to this child but both of them were astounded and astonished and really said how can this be you know we're not married we don't know each other in a physical way nothing untoward has happened how can this be now they were convinced as God spoke to them but nevertheless that initial unbelief a mistake because they really were saying we can only believe what is humanly able to be explained you know, if, if it doesn't fit into what we think normally happens, no, we, we can't cope with this. And yet the strange thing is that they would have been well familiar with the fact that Isaiah, the prophet who'd lived 700 years before Jesus was born, had said that there was going to be a sign given by God and the sign would be that a virgin would conceive. And this baby who would be born would be called Emmanuel, God with us. And then, of course, a couple of chapters later, in Isaiah chapter 9, those, those words we've already meditated on a little bit. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government there'll be no end. So a baby will be born, a child given, a son given, and he is the Mighty God. He is the Everlasting Father. And yet for Joseph and Mary, this was beyond them. They were just ordinary people, you know. He was a carpenter. She was a young woman. And, 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 and we are the instruments which God is going to use and bring into the world the one that we've been longing for. It, it was too much for them. And so God had to go to extraordinary means to convince them that this was indeed of himself. And then think of the mistakes that the crowds in Bethlehem made. So here's Caesar Augustus. He makes this decree that everybody in the world that he was ruling should go back to their place of origin to be enrolled, to be counted, and, and true to any politician, to be taxed as well. If we're going to count them, let's get some money out of them too. And so Joseph and Mary go back to, to Bethlehem. A thousand years earlier, King David had been born there. But Bethlehem, it wasn't a significant place. It was, it was just a village eight miles south of Jerusalem. And yet there'd be thousands of people descending on Bethlehem, all David's descendants. And, and the place would be absolutely heaving. And, and you can imagine all that was going on. Family life would be uh, continued. But the, the chatter, the gossip, the catching up. The eating, the drinking, the merrymaking. And I always think, I'm sure there was some accountant in some inn somewhere thinking, oh, isn't this wonderful, you know? Oh, for more decrees like this. And, and, and yet, while all this was going on, inadvertently they were making the mistake of not recognizing that something of immense significance was happening. A baby was being born, just laid in a manger, and this was the baby who was going to divide time in two. So for the next 2,000 years, we'd think in terms of, oh, the years before Christ and the years after Christ. 
This is the baby who in just 30 years' time would be giving sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf and speech to the mute and strength to the lame. He'd feed the hungry. He'd calm the storm. This was the baby who would go to a cross and die and be buried and rise from the dead. And, and they weren't aware that something of such great significance was happening this was the one who'd come into the world that men and women might be reconciled to God. Now they didn't realize, but nevertheless they were making a huge mistake. And then the mistake that the wise men made. I think it's an astounding thing that wise men came to worship a baby. Normally wise people, you know, they, 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 they talk about the philosophers, the leaders, the people of great influence. And yet these wise men came and they worshipped a baby. But the mistake they made was to go to King Herod and ask him to answer a spiritual question. <coughs> where, where, where is the one to be born? The one who is going to be king of the Jews. Where is he to be born? Now, whatever we think of our national leaders, they're usually ill-equipped to explain God's purposes. It, it, it always gets me when once in a while you get a member of the cabinet or some political leader making some sort of pronouncement about Christian things and they usually get it wrong, don't they? Because, okay, they may be great politicians, they may not be, but they may be, but that doesn't mean they're able to answer the big questions. Actually, Herod should have known that Micah, another prophet, had said that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. So it was there in scripture. He should have known it. I think one of the lovely things about the Lord Jesus, one of the most distinct things, unique things, is that his biography was written before he was born. So we're told where he'd be born, how he'd be born, how he'd live, how he'd be taken to Egypt, how he'd grow up in Nazareth, the things he'd say, the things he'd do, how he'd die for our sin, how he'd be buried, how he'd rise from the dead, the impact he would make. All written long before he stepped foot into the arena of human history. Nobody else is like that. And yet here's Herod. He's no idea about this. And the wise men thinking that the leader of the nation is the one who can answer the spiritual questions. It wasn't true then. It's not true today. And then the mistake that the religious leaders made. Because here is Herod, he's asked by these wise men, these, these visiting dignitaries. He doesn't know the answer, so what does he do? He calls in the experts, the religious leaders of his day, and he says, you know what, they're asking this question, what, what is the answer? And they knew the answer. So intellectually, they knew that the scripture said the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. But the almost unbelievable thing is, they didn't go to worship him. They knew it in their minds, but they didn't act on it. And again, I, you know, don't misunderstand, I love church, I enjoy church, I'm involved in Christian things. And yet it does seem that throughout history, religious leaders, and especially those, as it were, in the establishment, you know, those are the figureheads of religious um, activity, seem to be on the wrong side of humbly submitting to the Lordship of Christ. So they knew, but they did nothing about it. And then fifthly, and there may well be others, come and tell me if you think there are, but... Um, the mistake that King Herod made. 
So he turns to the, the wise men and says, look, you, you go and worship him as well. When you found him and worshipped him, come and tell me. And I'm sure they, they, they picked up the, 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 the sort of cynicism in his voice. Come and tell me that I might go and worship him as well. He made two mistakes. He made the mistake that he could deceive the wise men. Actually, God came and warned these wise men to go a different way home and not go via Herod. But he also made the mistake, and isn't this being made across the world today? He made the mistake of thinking that he could destroy Jesus. But there was no way that he could do that. Actually, you could go through the Gospels. It's an interesting little study. Go through the Gospels and see how many times it seems as though Satan, maybe inspired somebody else or maybe directly, sought to destroy Jesus and keep him from the cross carrying on himself the sin of the world, but of course he failed. And throughout history, how many leaderships, how many regimes have sought to destroy Jesus, but you cannot do it. So if we're not to mistake, make a mistake about Christ, how are, to we, how, how are we to understand him today? Who is he? What has he come to do? What, what is so important that here we are 2,000 years later celebrating the birth of Jesus? Well, I think you can get clues from all sorts of things, but you can get clues from the very gifts that those wise men brought. We're familiar with them. They brought gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And we, we sort of naturally sort of deduce from that, whether rightly or wrongly, maybe there were three wise men. But we've no idea, really. But these were the gifts that they brought. Gold. They brought to a baby gold. Now, gold is the gift for a king. It has always been incredibly valuable. Is, is this baby a king and he's born in Bethlehem and he's laid in a manger and his mother, father and questions about them and, and they're going to live in Nazareth, just this northern town. Can anything good come from Nazareth was the idea that went round in those days and the father just a carpenter. Is this a king? And the answer is yes, he is. The Bible says he's the king of kings. The Bible says he's the Lord of Lords. The Bible says, and sometimes I just stop and try and imagine this. Uh, the, the, the Bible says that one day every knee will bow before King Jesus. So the, the atheists, the, the sort of, the people who are just so cynical. I notice um, that Nikki Campbell is coming to Bradford in a, in a week or two. What a cynic towards everything Christian he is. But one day, he will bow before King Jesus. And we will. Some will bow with a sense of horror that I've rejected this king. And others will bow with a sense of awe and wonder. I don't know whether you remember, some of the, the older people here may, but many, many years ago, in this locality, there was a man called Brian Rigglesworth. He was a doctor, and I know he came and preached at Sunbridge Road. And eventually, he went out um, to Ecuador, and he worked as a missionary. But the, the atmosphere, he was so high up, the atmosphere affected his throat, and he got throat cancer and died out there. And it was a great tragedy. He, he had a tenor voice and a most beautiful voice. And I remember one of his songs that uh, he sang. 
He said, and when he comes, speaking about the Lord Jesus returning, when he comes in bright array, it will be glory then to say that he's a friend of mine. And I've never forgotten that. Brian Riggles was singing that song that, you know, wouldn't it be wonderful when the Lord returns to sort of nudge me? Excuse me, do you know he's a friend of mine? The Lord of all glory is coming. We can never meet Jesus on equal terms. We come to him as the Lord, as God. The one before, before whom angels bow and worship. And one day, Her Majesty the Queen, Prince Charles, Prince William, all people everywhere will bow and acknowledge him as King of Kings. Lord of Lords. So we commemorate the coming of Christ because this is God coming into our world. God, the creator, becoming like us, his creation. And of course, he's come to save us. And then frankincense. Again, it's an unusual gift to give to a, a baby because frankincense, you don't imagine babies having frankincense. Frankincense was a sort of gift you'd give to a priest. And of course, in those days in Jerusalem, there were, there were many, many Jewish priests. And, and the, the, they would use incense. They would, they would, they would burn it. And, and the, the smell, the aroma would be a sort of picture of our prayer and praise going up to God. But to give this to a baby, it's a strange gift. But priests were the people who, as it were, opened the way up to God. They represented people before God. They, they, they showed the way back to God. And of course, it was through sacrifice in those days. They would take animals and they would sacrifice them so that people's sins could be forgiven. And yet, could an animal take away human sin? Could a priest really make a way for us all to get to God because priests like us have sinned? But you see, the Lord Jesus Christ came to really open a way to God. He was going to be the ultimate sacrifice he was going to be, yes, the great high priest, but he would offer himself as the sacrifice. And unlike all those animals sacrificed over those centuries, he was going to be the willing sacrifice. He was going to lay down his life for us and make a way back to God from the dark paths of sin. Oh, right, so Jesus is the priest, the great high priest, and he's going to die so that we could be forgiven? Yes. And we need forgiveness, don't we? Uh, I've quoted this here before, but uh, Mae West, the 1920s, 30s actress, who, who certainly didn't live a very exemplary life, but she did have some amazing statements. I have a little book of hers at home of quotations from Mae West. She once said, I used to be snow white, but I drifted. Hmm. But we've all drifted, haven't we? We have all sinned. And Jesus came to die so that we might be forgiven. Call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And then myrrh. Well, gold is one thing and frankincense another. But myrrh, myrrh was an ointment that they would put on dead bodies. And you give this to a newborn baby a newborn baby more than anyone is the sort of picture of life and, and you give the mark of death. 
that Jesus was born to die. His greatest work was going to be accomplished when he died for us. When he paid for our sin. When he carried on himself all that is wrong and rotten about us. And yes, you know, we have our nice facade and all the rest. And yet every so often there's something that jars, isn't there? A shop worker in Skipton is murdered. But then, I don't know, I just stopped the other day and part, and I, I just saw two people just having a real argument because, I don't know, they were at a junction, maybe one had cut up the other. I have no idea what it was, but the ferocity of the argument. And, and I know myself as well, the things I say, things I do. I, I, I wish I wasn't like I am, but I am like I am. And I need forgiveness, don't we all? Haven't we all broken God's commandments? And Jesus, out of love for us, came to die for us. And that gift given to this baby, picturing the fact that eventually, yes, he, he would die. Last Saturday, I, I, I went to Northern Ireland to, to sort of honour the most unusual invitation I think I've had for a very, very long time. About two months ago, through the post, I got this very smart invitation to go to the unveiling of a statue. <laughs> well, I've never been to the unveiling of a statue before, don't know about you, but it was a statue for Amy Carmichael, this lady I mentioned, who was, who was born in Mill Isle in Northern Ireland, became a Christian at Harrogate Ladies College, started a church um, on the Shankill Road, which still continues today, Eventually went as a missionary to Japan and then Ceylon, of course Sri Lanka now. And then, I think it was for, I need to check it up exactly, I think for 55 years she worked in southern India as a missionary. She never had a furlough, she never came back, she just worked amazingly. And she, she, she went round preaching the gospel in the villages of India. But after a few years of doing that, six, seven, eight I think, she came across a child that sort of opened up a whole new world of ministry for her. In those days in southern India, but I think from what I understand, this still goes on in northern India, but it's been made illegal very much through Amy Carmichael in southern India. Orphan children, girls particularly, but also boys, were given to Hindu temples to be, quote-unquote, married to the gods. It was the most perverted practice that children had to endure throughout their lives, cared for, quote-unquote, in the Hindu temple, and so terribly abused. I don't know that Amy Carmichael fully understood what was going on for these poor children, but she knew there was something really dark, and so she began to try and rescue them. At one stage, she had eight hundred children in her compound and she was caring for them like this she never appealed for any money she just prayed and asked God to provide and he did it was an amazing amazing ministry she died in 1951 and as I say 150 years ago last Saturday it was her birthday and so they opened unveiled this statue and I thought well I, I you know I'm all for this I I quite like statues, and the idea of honouring a great woman like this seemed right. And there were 150 of us gathered there for this particular occasion. And yes, it's right that we do that, but would you have known about that if I hadn't told you? 
would people in, I don't know, Europe know about it or South America? No, and yet today in Britain and in Europe and in South America and across the world, millions and millions of people are honouring the birth of the Lord Jesus. And rightly so. And what does he want of us? Does he want us to make statues of him? No. Does he want us to bring some gold and frankincense and myrrh like those wise men did long ago? No, no, no. What does he want of us? He wants us to come to him as the saviour. The one who has died and been buried and has risen from the dead and is alive. And trust him to forgive us and then by his Holy Spirit to come and live within us. He wants to be our personal Lord and Saviour. In fact, God did not make a mistake when Jesus came into the world or where there was no room for him in the inn. But do you know, the greatest tragedy would be if we were to make a mistake. And that is somehow in all the excitement. And I love Christmas. And, and James, I, you may get tired of Christmas carols. I absolutely love them. I could sing them all year round. I think they're wonderful. And uh, I, I love the atmosphere of Christmas. I love the services of Christmas, etc. But it would be a tragedy if somehow we missed out on coming to that moment where we trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour. If only we could recognize who he is and then come to that moment and say, Lord, would you forgive me? A friend of mine was in St. David's Hall in Cardiff at a performance of Handel's Messiah. And it came to the moment when the, um, I think it's soprano soloist, sang, I know that my Redeemer liveth. And while she was singing it, suddenly she fell on her knees and apparently the people in the audience all thought, oh, it's part of the performance. It wasn't. She was so overwhelmed at that moment by who Jesus is and what he'd accomplished. At that moment, singing the solo, she was converted to Christ and just fell on her knees with a sense of awe before Christ. That's what he wants of us. And to simply pray and say, Lord Jesus, please become my Lord and my Saviour. Do you know, it is such a significant moment. It might seem nothing to you. You know, a prayer that takes a minute or two, is that going to make such a big difference? Yes. I came across a lovely quotation. Those of you who are Polish, you'll have to correct my pronunciation later on. By a man called uh, Lex Stranislaw. And um, a writer, and he simply said this, no snowflake in an avalanche ever feels responsible. It's an interesting little quotation. And, and would a snowflake make that much difference? Yes, it could. Would a little prayer, genuinely prayed, saying, Lord Jesus, I don't want to miss out on you. I don't want to make the mistake of going through life and never getting right with you. Please, would you forgive me and come and live within me? Would that make a difference? Yes. Not only for life, but for all eternity. Heaven or hell do not depend on whether we've been good or bad, but on what we've done with Jesus. And if I am in Christ, if I've trusted him, yes, he'll take me through life and through death. And then to be with him for all eternity.
Heaven is not a reward. Heaven is a gift which Jesus came to purchase for us and offers to us. And I want to ask you, if you've never yet trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I, I really would urge you to do so. And before James comes back and just leads us in the final worship songs, I'd like to pray a prayer that if you've never prayed to ask Christ to forgive you and live within you, I urge you to pray with me. Just inwardly in your heart, in your mind, to make this prayer your prayer. And say, God, I don't want to make a mistake and miss out on Christ. I really do want to trust him as my Lord and Savior. Shall we pray? So I'm going to pray a prayer that you could personalize and echo. And I urge you to this morning. Ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. Dear God, you know all about me. So I want to say I am sorry for my sin. I want to turn from it. I want to thank you that Jesus came and died for me and rose from the dead. Please forgive me. Come and live within me. Become my Lord and my Savior. And from this day, help me to follow you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. May I just say um, a couple of things before I hand back to James, sorry. Uh, on Amy Carmichael, yes, there's that book I mentioned earlier, but I've written a little leaflet about her, and I'll put a pile of them just on the table near the door, and if you'd like, like one to read a little bit about her life story, it will only take five minutes, but uh, I'd love you to take one. But if you prayed with me just now and asked Christ to be your Lord and Saviour, I'll be near the bookstall, but... Will you just say to me, Roger, I prayed that prayer, or I'll have in my hand a little blue booklet called Trust in Christ. And just say something like, Roger, I need that booklet. And it has the prayer in it, and then it has some sort of tips about how we can go on and grow as Christians. Uh, and I'd love to give you one of those free of charge. So help yourself to the leaflet, but if you prayed with me, just ask for one. It would be my pleasure to give you one. God bless you, and a happy Christmas. But James, let me hand back to you.